just like clockwork. As soon as I hit record, my cat Leo walks into the studio. Episode 240, Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral. Now he is scratching the carpeting, falling over, creating a mess. But that's what cats do. Apparently also yesterday was International Cat Day. I'm not making that up. Apparently, yesterday was International Cat Day, so happy International Cat Day. I'm Eddie Cohn, host, creator of the show, and over the last few weeks, I've had a a bunch of new listeners from Russia, so I don't know how you are getting this podcast. I mean, obviously, you're getting it through the internet. I'm not sure how you're discovering or finding out about this show, but I'm, I'm thrilled you're here, thrilled you're listening. Leo's thrilled you're here, so... A bit of a mishmash episode, only in the sense that I have a few random topics that don't really correlate to one another, Um, but I I did feel inspired to hit record. I still have a few guests lined up for the show. One's a music supervisor, one just published a new uh, app, a, a writing app, and one is also a photographer. It's been it's been a bit challenging coordinating our schedules, but they will be on the show eventually, I promise. Um, but for now, you get to listen to me and my cat, Leo. Today's actually a slightly somber day. I, I feel great. I, I went for my swim this morning. It's, it's oddly a little cloudy and rainy here today in LA. It's been like 90 degrees for the last month, sun. And oddly, we have a strange day of rain. It's it's also happening um, on this day when Robbie Robertson passed away. He's 81 or he was 80 years old. And many of you probably know Robbie from the band, The Band, which I always thought was such an unoriginal band name. I guess... I guess Unoriginal band names mean nothing, though, in the 70s, because they were a huge hit. Um, and, and I was never particularly a fan of, of theirs, probably because I wasn't really even born, and maybe I was like one or two years old when that music was pretty popular. Um, but I was a big fan of Robbie's solo record, Another unoriginal name, this time of an album. The album is called Robbie. It's called Robbie Robertson. Feels like whoever was was a part of that uh, ensemble had a hard time coming up with band names, and then in, in Robbie's case, in this case, coming up with album <laughs> album titles because he called it Robbie Robertson. Um, but I'm, I can't believe I'm making fun of Robbie on the day that he passed away because uh, this was meant to be a respectful intro. Um, but it's, it's, I've been listening to this record, Robbie Robertson for the last few hours while I work and boy, it's music is so powerful. It, it really, it's, it's transported me, um, back to that time in my life when, when I was listening to this record, my uncle introduced me to this album actually. And I remember that CDs were coming out, so I actually had, I think I had this on a cassette maybe at first, and then I got it years later on CD. Um, But there's a great song. I think, Leo, settle down, buddy. There's a, I mean, the whole record I think is really fantastic, but there's a song called Fallen Angel 
uh, with Peter Gabriel doing backup. And it's just absolutely beautiful. Um, a bit heartbreaking of a song, I think, now, especially knowing that Robbie has passed. But um, definitely check it out. Fantastic record. It's from 1987. The record's called Robbie Robertson. The song is called Fallen Angel. But actually, you 2 can be heard on a song later on uh, on the record. It's, it's really pretty amazing album. Testimony is a great song, Somewhere Down the Crazy River. So I'm recording today on this oddly rainy day, and, um, and it's on the day that Robbie Robertson has passed. You know that I've, I'm, I've obviously posted a lot about music and, and some icons that uh, I really respect. And although I wasn't a big fan of the band, I, I certainly really respected Robbie as a songwriter and, and loved that record. So, so certainly check it out. And, and here we, and here we go to, to, to the next phase of the podcast that has nothing to do with Robbie Robertson or music. Well, I'll touch on music a bit, but I, of course, I, I had to talk about Oppenheimer, or what I'd like to now refer to it as a boring, boringheimer. And and let me let me try and unspool this 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 tied thread of of information that I'm about to try and figure out here inside my head. I, I'm really curious about how particular artists or movies become popular. You know, Taylor Swift has been here in LA the last week. She has like six sold out shows at SoFi. And Look, I'm not a big Taylor Swift fan. I, I certainly like her new record more than probably anything that she's done. But I do, I don't want to say it's completely perplexing, but, you know, how, how is Taylor Swift selling out six records? And I don't, or rather selling out six shows at SoFi. And I know she's she's got a pretty big library of records and they've all done very well. I've I've gone back and listened to them over the last couple months and I I I'm not taking anything away from her, but part of me does wonder if it's because she's pretty. She sort of has this all-American look and maybe the marketing team behind her is fantastic or her persona is fantastic or maybe you know, she stood up to Kanye years ago at the MTV Movie or Video Music or Video Music Awards. Um, she stood up against Spotify. Uh, she had to stand up against Ticketmaster because I guess when her concerts went on sale, there was a lot of technological issues with with the on sale online. Maybe she sort of represents um, women power. I, I'm not sure. Maybe it's a combination of everything. I, I guess my point is, I'm always curious how a movie or an artist becomes huge. Billie Eilish, you know, I, I get Beyonce. I get, I almost feel like Beyonce is more talented than all of them. But it does feel like everybody needs to look good. Everybody needs to be pretty. Um, or at least appealing to the eye. You know, it's um, it's just interesting, and and I bring this up because then I think about Oppenheimer, like like how is Oppenheimer so popular right now? 
because I, I watched Oppenheimer. I'm not a huge Christopher Nolan fan, although interestingly, I did love Memento. I love The Prestige. I really liked his Batman movie, but then after that, it 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 almost felt like his his movies became too self indulgent or pretentious, and this certainly falls in line with with that theory of mine. Although I like Dunkirk, I thought that was pretty well done. Uh, Tenet was was almost unwatchable, um, but it's it's just it's interesting to me how Oppenheimer is so popular because. I think there's a couple layers here. I think it's really hard for people, critics, to criticize um, pieces of work anymore. And I almost wonder if people that are sort of working on the movie with with uh, Christopher can't be honest with him. Like there was these stories online where a lot of people are having a hard time with the movie because they can't hear what people are saying. And Christopher refused to go back and record overdubs later on after the fact. And the reason why it's so hard to hear people is because the score is basically blasting from very beginning of the movie to the very end. If you watch the movie, the music is beautiful. And if you go to IMAX, which I did, it is blasting. This is one of the loudest movies that you will ever see or here, I should say. Um, but the problem with that is, is that you do have a hard time hearing what people have to say. So let me, let me sort of take a step back. Oppenheimer is a beautiful movie to look at. I think the acting is, is fantastic. Robert Downey Jr. is great. I love Killian Murphy. Uh, I've liked him for years. I think he's fantastic. I think the script is really good. The dialogue is great. Um, I think it's edited really well. It's probably going to win a lot of awards. The sound of this movie is, is I think my ears are still ringing. But this is about as self-indulgent and loquacious of a movie that you can get because it's over three hours. There's nonstop talking. Um, I think you can hear the rain in the background. And while, again, it's visually stimulating... I just didn't care about anybody. Like, why is Christopher Nolan spending all of this time over the last, I don't know, two to five to six years making a movie with no heart and really no conflict? There's a little bit of a conflict at the end with Robert Downey Jr. There's a bit of a conflict where they're trying to build this bomb before Russia or any other country. But you really don't get into the, the psychological conflict that he was dealing with, any of the, the morale issues that he was feeling, uh, creating this bomb that could ultimately destroy the world. Um, it's, it's actually kind of disappointing to think that you have this really beautiful movie to look at, and it sounds fantastic, but I actually felt zero connection or empathy towards anyone. And I don't know if, if in our society right now, it's, it's possible for people to articulate that in the sense that people that are in the entertainment industry or people that work with Christopher Nolan or at the studios, 
I wonder if, if they're scared to say something or they don't even really care about that because movies now, it's, it's all about how it sounds and how it looks. Very similarly to how I felt about everything, everywhere, all at once. A beautiful movie to look at, edited really well, but I didn't feel a connection to anybody. Let me read this. Let me read you this uh, review. I, I did find one review that was critical of, of the movie. Christopher Nolan signs an impressive film, but one that lacks heart. And and again, that's that's how I feel exactly. It's impressive to look at. It's impressive that um, he edited this this long three-hour film. I think the music is is gorgeous to listen to, but sadly, I, I think it really falls flat when it comes to emotionality and to heart. Unfortunately, Oppenheimer suffers from the same writing problems as Tennant and Dunkirk, which the director also wrote alone. Deep themes, a sophisticated plot, but populated by uninhabited characters in dire need of emotional foundation. Apart from the duo of main characters by Killian Murphy and Emily Blunt, we hardly care about the figures who run through the film. None comes to make us vibrate or seize us by the guts and tears beyond the important issues crossing the story. Oppenheimer slightly compensates for this lack of soul with a stellar cast, including Killian Murphy, Robert Downey Jr., who are both fantastic. If, uh, if Christopher Nolan succeeds in offering a unique cinema proposal, he forgets his viewer in passing. Result, Oppenheimer is a film that is certainly impressive in many ways, but also talkative and cold. Fans of the filmmaker will no doubt love it. Others may feel left out. There is a shift happening in the movie industry where it feels like writers are no longer writing scripts in that world. They have moved to television and it feels like directors, similarly to um, Todd Fields with Tar, Christopher Nolan this year, where the directors feel as though they have to write their own script. And I don't know the complexities, the intricacies of this. I don't know if the studios, um, don't want to pay screenwriters. I mean, obviously there's a writer strike happening right now, but this film was written probably a few years ago. Uh, something is, is shifting in the movie world where the creators are putting more energy towards how the movie looks, how it sounds, and less towards creating three-dimensional characters that we actually feel empathy towards or feel... Uh, anything towards. There's, I, I didn't feel any empathy. I didn't connect with anybody. I wanted to feel some of the internal struggles that he's, that he's feeling as he's creating this destructive bomb that, that potentially is going to destroy the world. It's really disappointing. I, I was really kind of obviously hoping for a lot more. I guess my last point before I move on, I'm watching a show called The Bear, which at first I didn't love, but I'm really growing into it. 
And there's some powerful scenes. And I think it's because not only is the acting good, but the writing is so multi-layered. You just, you really connect to the main character. His, his brother died. Uh, his cousin is an incredible nuisance on the show. He's really struggling with bringing this restaurant to life. Um, you really feel a lot of empathy. You feel a lot of empathy towards the sous chef. You feel a lot of empathy and, and love towards a lot of the characters on the show. And, and it's like, I don't know if screenwriters in film know how to create that anymore. It's like they, they have to move into television. I know, Leo, my cat's back. Yeah, it just makes me um, miss, miss good movies. I was just thinking about Pulp Fiction. Um, two hours and 45 minutes, really long, a lot of talking, but there's a lot of conflict. And boy, you certainly connect, or you don't, you don't necessarily connect, but you really root for and feel a lot of empathy towards a lot of the characters in that movie. Leo, you got to quiet down, buddy. Yeah, I, don't feel, I didn't feel that in Oppenheimer whatsoever. So I guess my point here is it feels like people have a hard time not liking something right now. I, I go into a movie wanting to enjoy it, but it, it, like, what are you enjoying about Oppenheimer? Like, if it's not really loud, if it's not edited really quickly, if the sound isn't blowing your brain because it's so loud, if it's, the, the sound is pummeling your head, it's so intense. Like, throw all of that away. I just, I want a good, powerful story that makes me connect that makes me feel the struggle that the main character is is feeling, and I just didn't I just didn't feel that whatsoever when I saw Oppenheimer. So as like, I like to call it, Boringheimer. And then I think to myself, three hours, like three movies shouldn't be three hours. It has to be two and a half hours or less. That's the new rule. If you can't make your movie for two and a half hours, you should move to television. So there's my tirade about Oppenheimer. Watch it if you like. Obviously, it's going to win a bunch of awards. I wasn't impressed. I thought it was way too talkative, really boring. And, and I, would, I, would, I would suggest seeing something else. So last segment here, I want to talk a little Black Mirror. I know this show's been out for a while, and, and honestly, I just started getting into it. Uh, so I'm, I know I'm late to the party, the party of Black Mirror. But ironically, I watched an episode called White Bear about a week ago. And I'm recording this like a day or two after that brawl that was filmed, I believe, in Montgomery, Alabama. And, you know, I, I could only watch like maybe 10, 20 seconds of it, and I had to turn it off on Twitter, where just these men and a couple women are getting into this all-out brawl. And 
if you notice, you know, all, all of this is captured on cell phone video, of course. But if you notice in some of the videos or some of the angles, you can see other people with their phones out shooting video. And there's something really carnal and just disgusting about people pulling out their phone to shoot video of of grotesque human behavior. And look, I'm not naive here. I think video is pretty amazing in capturing criminals, uh, capturing wrongdoers. And if it weren't for these videos, people would get away with just about anything. So look, it's, it's, I guess we should be lucky that, you know, we have videos on street corners or or cameras on street corners and look, you got to be careful. If you're not careful, any moment of conflict can turn into a, um, a avalanche of disaster if, if, if it's captured on video. I mean, I think on the one hand, it, it probably causes a lot of people to stop themselves from acting like idiots or buffoons. But there is something, I, I don't know if, I don't think that's what the majority of people are trying to accomplish by capturing these videos or shooting these videos. It feels like they're being little immature tattletales or they're they're capturing this video so that they can post about it on their social media platform or they could post it on TikTok and and bring more attention to themselves or you know proclaim I was there I witnessed this look at me it's not about trying to capture the criminal it's about you know being a part of the party the video sharing the video being the uh, the filmmaker capturing whatever ridiculousness is happening, and in this case, in Montgomery, Alabama. It's almost like once the cameras start running, it's suddenly as if people are at a sporting event. (laughs) It's like a basketball game. And again, I am not dismissing the use of these cameras. I hope that these cameras help the police officers find the perpetrators because they clearly should be convicted and there potentially is some racial undertones happening here it's it's again pretty vile and disgusting but you know on the one hand and I won't delve into this arena but you you got to believe all these people that are fighting one another they have to think or they they must see the cameras <laughs> they must say well I should probably stop because I'm going to go to jail uh, or maybe they just don't even care. But then again, I, I'm focusing more because I'm going to touch a little bit on this a little further. I'm focusing on the spectators, the ones that pull out their phones, capturing videos with no intent to try and help the police, but they're just getting a kick out of the the disarray in front of their eyes. They they just think this is like a game, like it's a uh, like it's a basketball game. It's, it's um, truly a dystopian picture of human nature. It's pretty abominable, if, if you think about it, um, human behavior. And I guess 
I found it ironic because there's this brilliant episode of Black Mirror called White Bear, and it's not an easy watch, but we focus on this woman. I won't give too much away. We focus on this woman who is waking up in a state of peril, and she's clearly terrified. And we come to find out that her memory has been erased. She doesn't remember anything. But what she does see are people at first in in other homes and in, in, in the window with their phones out taking video of her. And she's screaming for help. And it, it just a few moments into this episode, a man wearing this ghastly mask is carrying a gun and running after her. And and I don't recall if he actually shoots the gun, but it certainly looks like he's he's about to kill her, or wants to kill her. And then another person comes out with like this turkey carver and wants to kill her. And somebody is actually trying to help this woman. We don't really understand why. Well, we do find out later. Um, I guess I might spoil it a little bit, but I still think it's worth watching. Well, we come to find out that she, and there's these, these quick flashback shots of a, of a child, and, and, and we don't know who this child is. We come to find out that she and her partner committed a crime. I won't say what the crime is, but she, during this crime that's committed, is taking video of the crime. And so her, um, her penalty, she doesn't go to a quote-unquote jail, but she ends up, I guess, living in this sort of purgatory where she is, her brain is rewired, where all of her memories are, are stripped away. And when she wakes up, she is put through this terror, this, 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 these moments of terror where she thinks she's going to die. And one of the worst parts about it is instead of people coming to help her, all people are doing uh, is taking video of, of how she's about to get killed. Like everywhere around her, these moments when she's about to die or she's feeling distressed, instead of people wanting to help her, all people are doing uh, are holding their phones out and shooting video of her. That's her torture. That's her penalty. And it's it's almost like this game show because she's she's about to be tortured. Um, she's like tied to a chair, and you get the sense that she's about to be tortured or murdered. And then we come to find out that it's a game show, and that this is all um, a sort of riddle that that she has to live over and over again, like. Just want like a new studio audience it comes into the auditorium and gets to watch her be tormented mentally because she has no idea that this is all like, that she's a part of a game show. She has no idea why she has to to relive this experience. And again, her penalty uh, is brought out upon her because she necess- she didn't necessarily commit the crime, but. She just shot video of the crime. And I I just thought it was spellbinding. I was spellbound by this episode. Because it's, it's, 
it's what we have become, so many of us. As I'm watching this video in Montgomery, Alabama, all these people shooting video, nobody, I mean, look, maybe people are jumping in and trying to stop it, but it sure feels like when these moments of of crisis happen, uh, how often are people not lending a hand because they would rather shoot a video of the damn thing? (laughs) It's really pretty preposterous. And, and, and just vile and disgusting to think that that's what a lot of people do. And then I think to myself, how often are moments, could moments have been stopped because, you know, instead of grabbing that phone, somebody could have just said, hey, cool off or just, just take a step back, relax. But it feels like people aren't doing that. They're, they're reaching for their phone instead hoping to capture some some emotional escapade that's about to unfurl in front of their eyes. It's it's a powerful episode. Definitely check it out. White Bear on Black Mirror. Um, I was was mesmerized by the episode, so it's, it's fantastic. So if you've learned anything today, be prepared to be bored out of your mind of Oppenheimer. Again, it's not a terrible movie. It's clearly well done. I just don't think any attention or or much thought was was pointed towards creating characters that we connect with or feel empathy towards. Second part, go listen to Robbie Robertson. I've been listening to him all day today. He'll be missed. Uh, definitely check out his record from 1987. The record also entitled Robbie Robertson, and then check out White Bear on Black Mirror. You know where to find me on social at Eddie Cohn or the Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Please share the show with your friends. Share the episode with your friends. I have a big library of episodes. Um, Appreciate you as always. Maybe head over to iTunes and write a review uh, or Google Play or give it a five star on Spotify. All of those at all those extracurricular activities of yours are always helpful and um, I'll be back you know in the next week or two as always thanks so much for listening supporting and being a part of the downward facing spiritual spiral podcast